second off, we should be clear. Check my those settings here. Mm -hmm. All right, should be good to go. Soul Shader, what's going on? TRN, Eric. We'll get to that in a minute. Urban Warlock, what's going on? Naris, I believe it is. Grinch, what's the word, man? Youssef. I'm going to let people come on in in here. Got 27 so far. Please hit the like button on your way. Hoping everybody is good. What's going on, Ron? Famous Davis, what's, what, what's up? Malika, what's going on? All right. Mogul Maze, NJ, NJ Progressive, what's happening? Universal Mike, what's up? KC, what's happening? Yeah, folks are coming on in. Missed y'all. Glad to see folks coming in. I'm trying to see if we're live on uh, Facebook, but it's not, not showing up. That's weird. Okay. What's up, Artisan? All right. Legitimate. What's up? Mr. Hypermagnet. Magnetic, excuse me. Charles, thanks for adding. Good to see you. Atif, I think it is. What's up? Golden Leopard. All right. Uh, Dr. Rashid, what's up, man? Okay, so we in here. Uh, 71 people in. Please add as you come in. Share. Um, share the video. Like. MLR, what's up? Bearborn. Yeah. And I feel all out of practice navigating this thing already. It ain't been but a minute. I already forgot stuff. Make sure you support the show. Hoping everybody is good. Okay. Before we get started... As I said, today we're going to have a surprise guest. What's up, Gemini? Um, first and foremost, I want to thank everybody for the support. Um, man, that was moving. Brothers came out the woodworks and gave me love, and I really appreciate that. Um, it's been a, a real strange week. I'll give you guys the very quick um, overview of what it is. So, you, you've no doubt seen me uh, on previous videos. I, sometimes I hold my cane while I'm talking. It's gotten to be a bit of a habit. But the reason I'm on a cane at all 
is I tore the cartilage in my hip. And um, I didn't think much of it at the time when I first did it. But over time, it began to erode. And so now it's at a point, you know, the doctors are telling me you can't regrow cartilage. So they're saying I need a hip replacement. And so that's been this has been going on for the last couple of years and it's gotten worse and worse. And, you know, uh, and so, you know, I was trying to exercise. And the only exercise I can do at this point is swim or ride my bike. Now I have a pool. So I was riding my bike and I slipped off the pedal on the leg that's attached to the hurt hip, hit the concrete. And I'm telling you that I could, it was, it was ridiculous. If you, if anybody out there has ever needed a hip replacement and you hit the concrete on that hip, I was out of it. And it happened not too long before my show was supposed to be scheduled last Wednesday. And I couldn't, I couldn't think I really couldn't function. So, um, you know, I've been I've been just really kind of self-medicating and using a lot of ice um, and trying to bring all of that down. Um, and I finally got to the point where I was moving around again. So it really, you know, it really took a lot out of me, you know. But like I said, I, I really appreciate the outpouring of support. Um, brothers were fairly supportive. There's always a couple there's a couple brothers in there start talking mess, you know, <laughs> telling me you're too old to be chasing these little girls or something. And I was like, man, y'all, <laughs> y'all are cold, boy. <laughs> Brothers get on you in a minute, you know, but, uh, it, you know, the support was there nonetheless, and I appreciate it. Um, I can tell you, uh, oh, the lovely Khalil is here. How you doing, sweet, uh, sweetheart? Uh, Brother Bubble, what's up? Um, ground up chicken bones, huh? All right. Um I can tell you, I, I I had to self-medicate. I was going through my bathroom, putting stuff together. I probably ain't had no business putting together. And that first night was ridiculous because I couldn't even lay on it. But, uh, you know, I was talking to folks that wasn't there. I swear to you, man, I, I was so out of it. I was in another dimension, most especially that first night. I took a concoction of things in my bathroom that I don't even fully remember trying to just na navigate this pain. And it got to the point where I had, I could swear I had a two hour debate on race with Skeletor. And it was real as hell. I saw the bones and everything. I was, we had a debate. And then for some reason we were playing Monopoly. And then Optimus Prime and Soundwave joined in. And then it was, it was so strange. We had to, I mean, we, it was, he-Man and James Baldwin had to get kicked out the game because they were cheating. It was, I was in another place. I'm telling you, the only, only way I could get over that pain was to go somewhere else. And I still ain't figured out where I went to. So it was surreal. All I know is at some point, Sade brought her new boyfriend over to introduce me. And I really didn't appreciate that shit. Prince had my back though. He was the only one that was upset about it. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a whole different dimension. Um, and Crimson Cure reached out to check on a brother, and I appreciate that. Um, she was trying to get me to go online, and I was like, nah. <laughs> I don't know what I say online. Um, so I'm not. It was a whole different place. Uh, Artisan, who won the debate? Well, eventually I did, but he pulled out his scepter, and that's all I remember. And then we were playing Monopoly, so I, I left it at that. Um, it, was a, it was a whole different thing, man. Um, uh, Mr. Hypermagnet, I appreciate the support. Did I take out the Avengers? 
Oh man, it was it was strange, y'all. <laughs> <I'm a liker. laughs> yeah, well, it was it was a different one. What's up, GG? GG in the building. Joe from DC. Appreciate that support. Um, glad you didn't miss it, man. Uh, Joe Average brother. So anyway, uh, a lot going on. There was a lot that I wanted to talk about last week that obviously, you know, um, it's weird in the social media area. Things go by so fast. Uh, it's ridiculous. But um, one of the things that did end up happening um, a little bit after I, I was, you know, healing, I got a call like five something in the morning through Facebook. And it was from a brother I've never met before. I'm going to call him Jay. Um, and Jay reached out to me and said, you know, I didn't answer. I didn't know who it was. I never, I didn't recognize the name. And he wrote me, you know, in Messenger after, after the, you know, he stopped calling. And he said, basically, I just need to hear a brother's voice. I'm thinking of taking my life. Um, now, that's not the first call that I've gotten like that since I've gotten on the YouTube. So uh, no doubt I found it concerning. But at the same time, I, I understand the context that many of us are in, especially as black men the social expectation to provide and protect, even when you're beyond being able to do so. Some of you know, I posted the story of a brother on Facebook who shared his story in a black father's um, uh, group. Uh, so I shared his story anonymously, but he, he talked about li literally being unemployed and homeless, but still um, you know, paying child support and actually having his ex increase his child support. So he was the picture, the video he actually attached to his story was him giving her $3,500 or at least having $3,500 he was about to give her. Uh, but that's the plight that many of us have. So Jay, uh, if you're out there, brother, I hope you're all right. Um, I'm gonna check on you soon. You know, I, 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 I tried to check on him and let him know what was going on. Um, and I urged people, and I'm probably gonna have it on the screen in a little bit, uh, to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If, if you find yourself in that position, if you can't get hold of someone you know, someone you trust, definitely get hold of a professional. Um, and the number is 1-800-273-8255. I'll post it in a second. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it was rough. You know what I mean? And like I said, it's not the first voice I've heard. You know, it it, it really it just told me, since I, I've only done a couple of videos, re, you know, just kind of acknowledging what brothers are going through. And, and, you know, I've had a number of calls from brothers at the edge, you know, one brother I reached out to mind you, these are brothers I've met online. I've never met him in person. One brother, I just hadn't heard from him in a while. And I reached out and he was like, I'm sitting in my car, gunning the engine, you know, facing a brick wall. He's like, I'm ready to go, you know? Um, and it was just happenstance that I'm, you know, I managed to catch him and much love to him. I hope he's good. Um, but this is the kind of scenario we find ourselves in, you know, where we are right now. And I think it's important that we find ways to support each other because, as we say often uh, in this space online, anybody else coming for us. You know, too many of us wake up knowing that if we do something to ourselves, you know, uh, there may not be anyone there to stop us. There may not be anyone there to talk to. And so we got to support one another. Um, shout out Gone Postal. I hope you're good. I appreciate the support. A red, a real red paper, red pill. Valdez, appreciate that, brother. Um, 
it's all good, man. Um, I've been watching a number of your shows lately. You cooking. Um, but it's been a lot happening, man. And so, you know, reach out to your brothers. Make sure everybody's good. Make sure people have the support they need because y'all know we don't often get it. Um, and so that really that really concerned me. Um, and, I, I, you know, I know the rates, you know, as far as suicide is concerned, it's been going up, um, which is obviously a concern. Oh, shit. This thing is tripping again. Hmm. Let's try this again. Try to open this up without it flashing all over the place. There we go. Um, so I posted this a little while back just to kind of let y'all know where suicide is right about now uh, in terms of uh, you know race and gender. So between 1999 and 2018, 8,288 black women have committed suicide, while 36,699 black men have. Again, another reason we need black male studies and black masculinism. Flat blackness does not work to explain our issues, and neither does intersectionality. So basically, uh, one of the tropes across race with suicide is that women attempt suicide in much higher numbers, men complete it in much higher numbers. Uh, that being said, again, look out for your brothers, because this is what we're dealing with right now is real. And again, this is the National um, Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You know, reach out to them, reach out to a loved one, reach out to a brother, you know, somebody you trust. And if you don't have any of that, at the very least, reach out to this number. Um, but we, we got to find ways to make sure we support each other and make sure we're good, um, because it's not a guarantee. You know what I mean? It's really not. And you know, so when I look at these numbers, you know, it it it, it hurts my heart because I know, you know, some of these brothers died with nobody there, you know, and I and I've you know I've never been tempted, I've never, you know, seriously considered it, but I, I have gotten close enough to understand why people do it, you know, I have gotten that close, and that was close enough as far as I was concerned. So the support that brothers need is crucial, uh, and like I said, we can't. It's not always guaranteed that people are going to, you know, look out. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, uh, Dr. Rashid, appreciate that support. MLR, appreciate the cash app. Um, so, you know, let me transition a little bit. So suicide prevention. And while I'm on the topic, look out for my man, Calvin Mann and his organization. Encourage me. Uh, I'm young. E-M-I-Y. It's a Detroit-based nonprofit, uh, which is ultimately concerning uh, concerned with ending suicide. Uh, for black boys between five and 12. Um, and so they offer in-school community workshops, groups and programs which focus on boys eight to 14 um, in order to help them develop future servant leaders as into future servant leaders and logical decision makers in their families and communities. Look out for the brother. I've seen him on uh, is, is on Facebook. Uh, you can do a search for him, uh, but uh, try and support if you could. Atif, appreciate that support. Uh, what's up, Kendra? Um, Brenda, how you doing? Um, yeah, um, definitely need to 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 look out. All right. What's up, Moada? So yeah, um, so I wanted to go through a couple of just current events before we really jump into this. And um, uh, my surprise guest will be in in a little bit, uh, so we can actually get some very practical and useful tools for brothers uh, in regard to this issue we're gonna get into. 
So uh, some of these are, are pretty random. Some of these stories you may have heard, but I definitely need to make sure they are on the docket so we are familiar with what's going on and we're all on the same page. Uh, first one up, y'all know uh, this story. Again, this is one I wanted to share last week, and I thought it was important enough to at least mention because it really does highlight the level of anti-Black misandry that we're dealing with. So those who don't know, this is the brother whose uh, Jeep, I thought it was an SUV, but uh, if you saw the video of the, of the young woman who set his, his car on fire and nearly blew herself up doing it, this is the picture of the brother whose car it was. Now, the article is not really about him. The article was about how many women felt they understood and felt that he deserved it for whatever he may have done simply because they saw this picture. I'll let that sink in if you hadn't heard about it, right? But you actually have people commiserating and supporting the sister simply because of this picture of him smiling. And this suggested that he deserved it because he probably did something, right? This is this is what we're talking about, um, you know, and this level of, of, of self-hatred, this level of misandry, we need to we need to be very careful about this. Because often, you know, when black men engage in, in abusive behavior, you know, there is no questioning what his motivations was, what inspired it, what spurned him. Uh, Lackenzie, uh, appreciate that support in the cash app. Um, you know, there is no reflection upon, you know, what what kind of circumstances may have undergirded none of that. There, in essence, in mainstream society, there is no you know, excuse, there is no acceptance for abuse. But strangely, when it comes to various types of abuse that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, especially when Black men themselves find themselves victim, uh, all of a sudden, the assumption that he did something wrong simply on the basis of how he looks is enough for some people. And it's ridiculous. So I just want to kind of bring that to our attention that this kind of thing is happening. But also in the world, some of you may have seen this. New York Fed report finds Black-owned businesses nearly twice as likely as others to fail and less likely to get PPP, right? Get the support um, from the state. And this is coming from a Stanford University source determined they were 41%. There was a 41% decline in the number of active Black-owned businesses compared to 32% of Hispanic businesses, 26% of those earned by Asians. The pandemic only claimed 17% of businesses fronted by whites. Uh, as reported by CNN. Fed's findings mirror those of the Stanford report, right? Um, and this is by Robert Fairley, who's an economics professor at uh, UC Santa Cruz, visiting professor at Stanford. Uh, the Fed researchers also reported 40% of Black-owned businesses are concentrated in only 30 counties across the U.S., which accounts for roughly 1% of the total counties in the U.S. Black businesses are also concentrated in areas with the highest numbers of COVID diagnoses, right? So just to kind of give us a, a context, and again, you know, much of, you know, the suicide we were talking about a moment ago is or can be traced to, you know, the larger context of what many of us are dealing with, right? Um, but the difference between us and other demographics, even within our own community, is that as men, we bear the social expectation of caring the family, providing and protecting. That is what it is. I'm not saying it's bad or good. It's simply the, the, the way we are. It's simply the way we operate. And, it, it, and so what does that mean? That means that 
you, you can be a woman who's heading your own household. You can be a man who's, you know, what, what do they call him? A Madden couch king? I don't know what the term is, but you, you, you don't work and you play video games all day. The difference, however, is that the social expectation is still going to fall on you. And you being considered a good man or a bad man is measured against that. A woman, however, can work, support her house or not work. And there is no critique one way or the other. You know, when I was in graduate school, and I, I, you know, I started a family. So I had a, my wife, I had a newborn um, and I'm in the midst of taking classes and exams and, you know, trying to write a dissertation. You know, when my son, by the time he was one, is pulling all the keys off my keyboard. You know, when all of that is happening, there were times when, you know, because my wife had sickle cell. So she was she would often find herself out of work. They wouldn't fire her for being sick but they found ways around it. Cause she'd be in a hospital at least a month out of every year, you know? And so they would, they would find ways to get rid of her and, you know, our money would go up and down. I'm working four jobs and one of them being full-time and trying to finish school. And I almost had to drop out a couple of times, but there were times when the power got cut off. You know, there were times when the heat got cut off and I, I'd have to send her to her family until I could get it back on. You know, it, you know, there were only a couple of times that happened, but it got there. Nobody ever called her and asked her, you know, what, what's your work situation? Why aren't you at work? No, people called me. You know, what happened? Why are your lights out? Why, why is this out? Why is that? And that was my responsibility, and I took that. But I'm merely saying that because that's the way our cultural dynamic is set up, uh, where, you know, men are socially expected to play that role, there's a lot of pressure that comes to, with that that nobody talks about. And the imp impact of that on life expectancy, on suicide, again, is 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 not discussed, not reflected upon, but it's an undue pressure. So again, even if you are, you know, a woman who's head of household, that doesn't necessarily mean you bear the responsibility of the social expectation. And we haven't even talked about how that impacts dating and mating, right? The, the courting rituals that have to go with men paying for different things as an early kind of um, application, an early kind of demonstration that you're able to protect and provide, a symbolic demonstration, but nonetheless incredibly important. And, and it's especially important when we live in a reality where, you know, again, before COVID in 30 major cities, Black male unemployment was between 40 and 50 percent. Now, you just saw the report that, you know, in 30 major counties is the majority of where or, you know, where 40 uh, percent of Black-owned businesses are concentrated. So you can see the correlation. Right. Between unemployment, between, uh, you know, percentage of black owned businesses, the pressure that black men face, all of that stacked on top of each other. So that pressure in and of itself is hard to discuss when people don't recognize it even exists. Right? Um, so important for us to be able to break down and have some dialogue about. OK, hold on. A little thing here is tripping. Artisan, appreciate that support. Um, I knew you'd understand that Skeletor reference. Uh, I don't know how many other geeks are out there, but for those of you that are, you feel me. Um, L.A. Sheriff's point guns at black teens who were attacked at bus stop. You know, I'm sure many of you may have saw this story this week um, where you had uh, a series of, of young black teenagers who um, were virtually, you know, had guns drawn on them in Santa Clarita. California, and this is a group of black male teens, right? So this goes, and I posted the question online earlier, um, when was the last time you were able to actually be a child, right? Because black boys from the age of five are deemed to be older than the way that, than they actually are. And this definitely 
happened with me and it definitely happened with my son. You know, so I remember being thrown over police cars, thrown on the hot concrete, you know, by cops simply because I was standing there. You know what I mean? T, appreciate that support. Um, right. So, you know, so part of what we had here was um, these young men were actually attacked by a homeless man uh, who pulled a knife on them and was trying to rob them for what they had. And when others called the police, the police showed up and drew guns on them. So, again, my question is, you know, when's, when do black males get to be children? And that became one of the issues for me as a father raising my son. I mean, and I was conflicted in many ways because part of me wanted to allow him to be a child as long as possible. The other part of me wanted to prepare him as early as possible for what the world will do. And so that led to a lot of schizophrenic, excuse the expression, um, you know, debates within myself between preserving his childhood and allowing him to or preparing him for how the work. Look, my son is six foot seven. Right now, when I look at him, I see the kid that I used to be able to hold in one hand. Right. The kid that I used to put to sleep every night, you know, the kid I used to feed whose diapers I used to change. That's not what other people see. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to impress upon him because he's he's a happy go lucky kid. He's a video game head. He has no real conception for how people see him. So what they see when he's especially, you know, coming home from school after, you know, after an activity or something, it's dark. He's six foot seven walking home in his backpack. They don't see the kid I see. You know what I mean? They don't see the kid I raised. They see a threat. And so this article, if nothing else, it definitely exposes that frustration and that pressure. Yeah, Christopher, he's six, seven. And I watched him and one summer surpassed me. That shit was surreal. Um, but right. Right. Professor Rashid, cognitive dissonance for many black fathers. Real talk. Real talk. It, it's, it's hard to process that. You know, so I know brothers who start their 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 sons in the manhood training as early as one or two years old you know, trying to toughen, toughen him up, preparing for the world. And I know people who baby their kids, you know, but it's all predicated around the same notion that, you know, we know up front that black boys are not often able to be children. Um, and so we grapple with that. Right. Um, all right. So. Um, so you guys saw this one, of course, um, black men. Uh, for firing shots at her vehicle when it was really a security guard trying to stop her from stealing. So, you know, black men were accused of uh, firing shots at this woman. I believe she's, yeah, she was a white Cuban American woman who's been charged with providing false information to the police after she said two men fired shots into her car. So this one's different because we're not obviously talking about children in regard to the black men in question. But again, it's deeply set by adulthood uh, in terms of how people see us, you know, SharePoint, appreciate that support. All right. So something to consider. You can look into these. This one is off Atlanta Black Star. Check into it um, if you'd like. Um, also, look into this brother here, uh, Purvis Payne, uh, facing execution December 3rd. Um, said he's innocent. They hadn't done any DNA tests on the victim. Um, and they said he was uh, intellectually disabled. Um, you know, he was 20 years old when he stumbled upon a murder scene in June 1987 was shocked and tried his best to help the victim, but he was mistaken as the attacker. He described as the worst thing he's ever seen in his life. Um, so, you know, look into the story, find out more information if you can. Uh, I think there's a change.org 
account you can sign to support the brother. Um, but at least, if nothing else, you know, look into the story. But again, it goes back to this notion of perception. And perception of black men is very much rooted in very old, centuries old ideas about black male savagery and primitivity and so on and so forth. So those things are still there. Um, yeah, Tariq, I was. I talked about it a little earlier. Um, I am recouping. Appreciate that support, though. Um, and shout out to those of you that, that that not only, you know, extended support on Facebook, but also on YouTube. Uh, I think uh, BGS also posted that, um, you know, a note that I was out and people shouted out in there. I really appreciate that support to everybody who commented, everybody who sent support uh, and BGS as well. Uh, thank you. Um, let's see. Some of you guys have heard this one here, right? Girlfriend of Florida man who shot black Burger King employee charged with murder. New tales reveal role of her 13-year-old daughter, uh, what role she played in the incident. So this is uh, Burger King employee Desmond Joshua Jr. Uh, was shot dead um, as he was servicing Ashley Mason, who was in the drive-thru. Uh, Mason was arrested August 5th, charged with principal to first-degree murder and aggregated assault. The firearm, um, apparently she called her boyfriend uh, who came. She had a, a disagreement with Joshua called her boyfriend Kelvis. Um, and um, he came and shot Joshua um, and he's being held. But the interesting part to this as well, the other added part to this story is that uh, even though this started uh, at 7 p.m. on August 1st, it was Mason's 13 uh, year old daughter who admitted she got out of her mother's car to throw a drink at the drive through window uh, and, argue, and, and an argument ensued on both sides from there. Right, so this so this man was killed over an altercation in the drive-through. Um, right, so even the child was involved in the dynamic. You know, again, going back to the whole question of how black men are perceived. Uh, uh, T Fitness for you, appreciate that support. Um, let's see here. And then we have prosecutors clear Arkansas's officers who pushed black man into the ground for six and a half minutes before he died. You know, y'all know what it is. Same kind of dynamic. This happened in February, but you can see what I mean. Right. This is 39 year old Lionel Morris. Uh, body cam footage shows the officers pressing him into the ground floor of a supermarket for six and a half minutes, ignoring his repeated cries for medical help. Now, if you're not clear um, what I'm talking about in these stories, and most of them, is how the perception of black men plays into their treatment, the lack of empathy and what role that plays into their treatment. Um, and how it, it, it not only justifies the treatment many of us get, but the lack of empathy. And a lot of that lack of empathy can also express itself in terms of policy, right? In terms of policy that exists and policy that does not yet exist. Um, I talked about, I think in the last show I did, um, the, the bill that um, Patrice Cullors is trying to push through uh, from BLM standpoint and how it's supposed to deal with police treatment and so on. But again, at no point in its framework um, are black men brought into the fold. So uh, black men are not considered in it to any great degree uh, in, its implement, in its development, and I highly doubt in its implementation.
So, um, all right. Now, the major subject that I wanted to get to today has to do with intimate partner violence, what used to be called domestic violence, but is officially called IPV, intimate partner violence. Um, this particular set of images I posted on Facebook. This is from a brother who's a, a, a Facebook friend, and he was he was you know kind enough to volunteer some of his uh, some of the images. Now these these are cuts that he endured from a girlfriend in the past who used a box cutter to assault him, right? Um, and I want to applaud brothers coming forward to share their experiences. But one of the things I noticed is that. Um, not only is there a lack of empathy societally, but even from other black men themselves. One of the things that I talk about when I post these kind of things on, in social media, the first people to respond are often other brothers who will find ways to denounce the man who's been victimized. And this is this in, in the last couple of months, it's, it's begun to concern me. And so one of BGS's last videos about the degree to which, um, you know, black folks express the self-hatred in different ways based on gender. He was saying black women express it one way, but he said one of the ways that black men express it in terms of hating, uh, you know, ourselves is to immediately, um, you know, denounce each other, right? And so when we talk about that, one of the things that of course comes up is, uh, where did it go? I think everybody has pretty much seen it, um, but I have misplaced it and I need to find it. There it is. All right. So let me move this out the way. Let's see if I can. Got too many screens going. I'm not as I'm still not as smooth as as, uh, as others are. Valdez be flipping these screens left and right. Meanwhile, I'm over here opening up screens accidentally. This is ridiculous. All right. Um, so I'm sure many of you have seen this particular image here. Uh, this is the woman who ran over her husband of 18 years while screaming at him. And for those of you that can't see it, she picked up the bumper that came off. I don't know if that was off of her vehicle, the one she hit. She picked up the bumper while he's on the ground bleeding. And she's hitting him with the bumper. And there's like a 15 minute video of this that people are just standing around recorded. Um, and this one you can find on, um, what is this, the uh, premywithkizzy.com website. You can find it pretty easily. And I'm sure most of you have seen it. But um, it's basically, um, uh oh, what happened to my screen? Damn it. There we go. Um, it's basically, um, you know, her running him over. And she's apparently saying that, I guess, you know, I'm, I wanted to wait for more information. I only found a little bit. And I don't know if maybe some, something came out today that I, I missed, but apparently he either wanted to end the relationship or he was cheating or something of that nature. And one of the things I found, there were there were a number of men and women that, of course, you know, were saying this is ridiculous. There's no way that anybody, that anybody should be treated like this. But then there were also a number of women who came in and said, well, he probably deserved it. You know, because, you know, he upset her, he cheated on her, whatever. None of us knew the story. All we knew is she was walking up and down, yelling and screaming at him after he was unconscious. And you can literally see the pool of blood around him. Now, last I heard, 
He was still alive. He was in intensive care. I don't know if that's changed. Uh, forgive me. I didn't really, I should have looked it up before the show, but what I found was people trying to forgive her, not even forgive her. They were trying to defend her and justify what she did. And I thought that was really interesting because even if a man has been assaulted, attacked, damn near killed, there's never a justification for this when it comes to men. But somehow there's almost always a justification when a woman does something like this. And more to the point, black men would come in and start saying, well, you know, he should have known better. He shouldn't have got with a woman that would do that. He shouldn't have this. He shouldn't have that. And I understand the need for self-accountability. I have no problem with that. I don't mind at all uh, black men holding themselves accountable or anybody holding themselves accountable. I think it's incredibly necessary. But I think we don't often understand the difference between self-accountability and self-hate. You know what I mean? Even down to the Will and Jada thing. When I did my first video on Will and Jada, people's response was, Will should have known. That's a whole different situation. I'm not going to go back into that weed that said that thicket of weeds or whatever. But the point is, I found it interesting how how few people, even black men, um, can jump into having no empathy whatsoever, even for a brother who's clearly a victim. Clearly. And I don't care if he cheated on her. I don't. People cheat on each other every day. That does not mean they deserve to die. That shouldn't be a capital offense that you got your feelings hurt. Even if it means that you lost your marriage, still not a justification for murder. And yet for some people, it's excusable as long as the, the, the initiator is, is female and the victim is male. Right. This is the dynamic we're dealing with. Now, my other set of concerns came in from another group of black men. And this group of black men started immediately talking about what they would do if they were in a similar situation, uh, not, not necessarily as far as this, but um, I posted some other videos about, you know, women physically assaulting men on my Facebook page. And, uh, you know, I, every video, every time I post that, I always get brothers that are like, oh man, I do this. I do that. I ain't having it. And I more than understand the sentiment. Trust me, I do. But I got to think, start thinking, what is the best way to handle this? Now, a little while ago, I did, I posted a video of, you know, I guess it ended up being a skit where, you know, a young woman had apparently committed some type of paternity fraud against her husband. I didn't care. And I don't care if it's a skit, a scene from a movie, or if it's real, because 32% of, of, black, of men are finding that they are not the fathers of their children. And in Jamaica, it's protected. It's, it's around 70% in terms of paternity fraud. So I don't care if it's a skit or not. The issue is more important. And that's what I needed me, need people to focus on. But anyway, I bring that up because, again, people started saying, yeah, he should have known, whatever, whatever. But when I posted that video again, I saw people responding. I would have done this. I would have done that. I'd have put hands on her. I thought the way that the video was done was interesting because he dealt with it intellectually. Right. He got the DNA test. He presented it to her in a bit of a pissy way, which was hilarious in one sense. Uh, and tragic in another, but he didn't put hands on her. And 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 I'm gonna tell you, as a father, if you tell me that this child that I've fallen in love with is not mine, if I have to find, especially if I have to find that out, and you won't even admit that to me, and then lie about it when I confront you, I'm definitely understanding the rage that many black men feel. And I have personal friends who have called me and told me that they were in that very situation in terms of paternity fraud. And I can't tell you how many black men I've heard who had whose hearts were ripped out knowing that those children were not theirs. 
right? I get that. But despite that rage, uh, I still began to think about whether or not there was a better way to handle it. Because obviously, if you put hands on anybody, you're going to jail. And we got enough black men dealing with that. So I thought I'd call in a special guest who might be able to give us um, some clarity on the best way to respond to these kind of situations. I definitely didn't want to do it because I don't necessarily know what's legal. I didn't want to necessarily put anybody in a particular position based on me not knowing the law in a particular way. Um, And so I thought it'd be good if I could bring in attorney Dennis Sperling, who, you know, was kind enough. I sent him a crazy late night text and he responded, you know, a couple of times before I even woke up and I, I really need to shout the brother out, but I definitely want to bring him in and see if attorney Sperling can help us with some insight about how to navigate intimate partner violence, how to navigate, um, you know, rage, how to navigate, even if it's justifiable rage, but how do we navigate these kind of situations and what's the best way that black men can engage this? I'll leave it here uh, so that uh, we handle it uh, safely, intelligently, smoothly, and in a way that doesn't leave us in a prison cell uh, because, you know, 30 seconds of rage can change your entire life and there has to be a better way to handle this. So, um, counselor, are you there? I'm here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Johnson. Thank you for having um, me back to your, to your program. Oh, thank you for being here, man. Um, uh, I hope all is well. By the way, I want to say he was kind enough to send me um, his book. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Rules to Live By. Um, there's three volumes of it, How to Maintain Peace of Mind and Happiness in a Conflicted World, which I think is an appropriate title for what we're dealing with today, you know, which, you know, which only confirms that I've, I've made the right move inviting the brother. Um, but please, man, give us some guidance on this. What can brothers do when they find themselves in a situation where they're either being abused or they've been thoroughly mistreated in some kind of way? Uh, what can they do to handle this kind of thing intelligently. Well, uh, Doc, first I'd like to introduce myself so the people know that I'm not just some guy. I've been practicing law for 20 years. Uh, my adopted father is an attorney. He practices criminal law. I've worked with him on a few cases. I pretty much just deal with civil litigation. Um, but early on in my in, in my practice, I worked at a courthouse in a small town called Lake Charles in Louisiana, and I would see defendant after defendant uh, come through the courthouses and I will tell you working behind the scenes I can tell you what the judges think you know being having an intimate in the fa- in, in your face relationship with seven different judges they all pretty much see male defendants who are alleged to have committed domestic violence in the same light they see them as uh, the person who is both bigger and stronger and under all circumstances, any retaliation um, that he may take in his own defense, there's always going to be the question of whether or not it was an appropriate response. For instance, if your girlfriend is five foot two and she hauls off and decks you right in the jaw and in response, you hit her right in the jaw, you being five foot eight, five foot ten, six feet tall, 
maybe outweighing her by 50 pounds, having far more muscle density. You hitting her is a disproportionate response in, in, in response to her hitting you. In other words, it's a no-win situation, even if you're defending yourself. And here's the other thing. When you get before a judge, and it typically doesn't matter if it's a male judge, female judge, white, black, or other, the judge, you're going to go up there and try to say, well, judge, she's been doing this for years or months, and this is my first time responding to her. The judge is going to say, you should have left the first time. Now you're going to get two to eight years in the state penitentiary. And that's pretty much how it's going to work. So my my non-legal advice to young men who are listening is that at the first sign that your girl is or your wife or, or whoever it is, your first sign of female that you're dealing with is uh, obnoxious, uh, derogatory in her use of language. If she play fights with you, if she and, and if she hits you, you need to make an exit. Because if she hits you once, she's going to hit you again. If she says things that you find offensive, at some point, you're going to have had enough and you're going to respond either with something offensive and that may escalate the situation to violence. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion to you men is that the first sign leave because your freedom, losing your freedom is not worth it. That's my advice to you gentlemen. Now, if you find yourself in a situation and this is, you know, you've ignored all the signs up until this point and your wife or girlfriend hits you without using a deadly weapon. In other words, she commits an assault and battery or a, an assault or a battery and she's using her fists. In other words, she doesn't have any weapons in her hands then unfortunately you may have to take it but as soon as you can get out of there i would suggest you do your very best to defend yourself but exit the home exit the place of business exit the apartment even if it's yours and don't go back without an escort to get your things and leave now if you're in a situation where your female partner picks up a weapon like a knife or a bat or something that can seriously hurt you, unfortunately, you're going to have to take your chances and defend yourself because now she has a deadly weapon, a knife, a gun, a bat, a, a car, um, a, an ashtray, a hammer. You have to defend yourself. If you can't find anywhere to run and hide in the bathroom or a bedroom, lock the door and then escape out of a window, then you're going to be forced to defend yourself. And hopefully, um, you know, you, you're probably, if she has a weapon and there's proof that she has a weapon and she strikes with that weapon, then, you know, all bets are off, unfortunately. But it should never get that far because you as a man should be able to see that this is not the woman that I, you need to be with from her initial steps because people don't just come out the block violent like that. There's usually a buildup to it. Just like kids don't, kids don't grow up and become criminals they kind of work their way up to it but that is that's what you're looking at though those are the circumstances and for the most part it's really a no-win situation for you 
And as much as it may hurt to depart or separate financial ties, it's better to do that and pay the alimony and the, and the child support than end up doing life in prison or 50 years in prison for assault, domestic assault, or, uh, or, or battery. That's my suggestion, generally speaking. Now, if you got some specific uh, questions, some, some, spe some specific uh, scenarios, I can, I can address those as, as you will. Okay. Um, looking at uh, some of the, the recent cases I've seen, uh, they're, they're, they're often, you know, I've seen closed-fisted attacks against men. I've, I've, of course, seen weapons. I mean, statistically, you know, women generally use weapons more often than men. Um, you, how would you suggest uh, brothers leave a situation? Because when we were on the phone, you kind of, uh, or I think we were texting, but you you, you kind of went into some good detail. Um, but it, what's the best way for brothers to leave? Well, I mean, it just depends. Um, and I'm going to give you some advice that most lawyers will never give you. Um, I'm going to give you some advice via stories that I've heard because I don't, I'm not here to give legal advice. I'm here to just right. talk to you about some stories I've heard. Mm -hmm. A lot of times men like women don't want to leave the relationship because there's going to be a financial penalty. I.e. there's going to be some, um, there, there will be some sort of, uh, stigma associated with it. It's inconvenient. Um, these are the things that cause men to want to stay in a relationship. And who wants to go and say that their girlfriend has been beating them up for the past three years? Who wants to go and tell the rest of the world that the reason they're leaving their wife is because she's verbally abusive and, and she's been hurting, she's demeaning and been hurting their, her, their feelings. No, but no man wants to do that. I get it. But see, unfortunately, if it bothers you, it's eventually going to get to the point where you are going to respond or you're just going to live your life in misery. Now, if you're fine with that, that's fine. But what I would suggest you do is figure out a way to exit that relationship, exit that relationship with as much as you possibly can. In doing so, I've heard stories where gentlemen, knowing that they're going to leave their uh, abusive relationship with their woman and wanting to avoid the confrontation will wait till she goes to work, go out of town, or what I, what not. And then when she leaves the house, they move all of the furniture out of the house into storage or into another apartment or to a friend's garage or a family garage or whatever. And when she comes home, the, the, the home is empty. The bank accounts have been either wiped out or closed. The credit cards have been shut off and uh, she'll get a text message from him saying our relationship is over. And then at that point, these gentlemen have avoided the conflict. They don't have to worry about it. And then there's other steps where you can actually get a restraining order or at least file the paperwork for a restraining order so that now she can no longer contact you. And that is if she's your girlfriend. Now, of course, she's going to complain and, and do the same thing uh, that you would expect from somebody when they come home with expectations that their furniture and their home is going to be intact and it's not there. But what this does is it causes for you to avoid the conflict. And on top of that, you then have the upper hand. Now, I can tell you from my experience, just limited experience in family law and just life in general, oftentimes, you know, women enter a relationship knowing how they're going to get out and who they're going to get out and be with.
and that doesn't change just because they get married. And so some of the things that I'm telling you are actually things that women have done to their husbands, which is where we get the whole Dear John letter. Man comes home, the house is empty, there's a Dear John letter on the kitchen counter saying that, mm -hmm. you know, John, I'm not happy anymore. I'm moving in and with mom and everything's gone. And so that would be a great way to avoid the conflict that would brew, um, you know, if you were dealing with a violent woman or a woman who's quickly berating and you don't want the issue to escalate. It's perfectly legal, you know, and there's, you know, if, if it's not, then it's not a criminal matter. It's a civil matter because the furniture is yours or hers or whatever. And that's something for a judge to figure out. And so you can exit the relationship like that. And that would be the best way to avoid if, if, if that would be the best way for you to avoid a conflict and still not get in trouble with the law, as opposed to waiting till she got home, arguing with her about what you're taking and what she's taking. And the next thing you know, you know, you, you got a screaming match in the front yard and somebody calls the police and you get arrested. Mm -hmm. um, real quick, shout out Mogul uh, for the cash app. Uh, Sergeant Willie Pete in the building. What's up, brother? I hope you're well. Um, there's a Tiger Knoll in the, in the comments asks a question about when to call the police. And I think it's an important question because he's talking about uh, instances where that may even work in your favor, you know, in terms of when the police report was filed or anything of that nature. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you definitely want to make a police report. You know, if, if, if violence is has taken place and you have, especially if you have damage to your body like cuts, there was a gentleman named Mr. Flucker. He, he plays defensive tackle for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And he actually had a videotape. And I believe, and this is what I believe I saw. I believe his, his girlfriend was sticking him with a pen or some kind of small knife and causing for him to bleed. And so he had her in the confrontation caught on video. And I believe she actually got arrested for that. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you can't call right then and there because you don't want a scene to be at your house, definitely go down and make a police report. But after that, you have to be proactive and you have to exit that relationship. You can't just file a police report, then go back to Bay the next day because mm -hmm. the cops and the judge are gonna look at it like you clowns are still together. Like you're yeah. not serious. You've mm -hmm. got to, you men who are listening to me, you've got to love yourself enough not to take abuse from anyone. And it's unfortunate that I have to tell men that, but, you know, because that's something that oftentimes women are told, especially in the rest of the world, because it's usually the men who are abusive. But in our country, we have a lot of women who have taken on the, taken on the masculine position. And not only do they feel they can abuse the men in the relationship, but they can abuse the children in the relationship. Look at the statistics mm. if you don't believe me. So mm. we have, unfortunately, we have women being women being human beings. They're, they are human beings. They will go to the limit in which you allow them to. And unfortunately, the, the law kind of has a chauvinistic purview of women and still believe that they're dainty and sweet and innocent, whereas a person who has been practicing law for 20 years and like many other judges and lawyers, we have a jaded view of humanity. And we don't really, we see women do treacherous things. We see men do treacherous things. And the one thing they have in common is that they're human beings. So I don't personally put anything past anyone. As a matter of fact, anyone over the age of one years old is a, is a suspect. You see, it just depends on 
the level of the crime. If there's some cookies missing off the kitchen counter at the jar, I'm like, I'm going to look for the one-year-old. I'm not mm-hmm. going to look for a 33-year-old wife of three uh, who may, well, then again, it could be her too. You know, everybody <laughs> right. likes But that's generally uh, what my advice would be. Okay. Well, um, 400 people in the building, please make sure you like, share, and subscribe, support the channel. Um, so we can definitely keep up this kind of content. Also, shout out to Kabir. Appreciate the support on the Cash App. Look, I'm, I mean, we already talked a moment ago about the ways in which men are penalized just for even being in the situation, right? Laughed at because somebody's putting hands on you, expected to be able to handle it in some kind of magical way that maintains your masculinity and doesn't embarrass you. And yet, if you do respond, even in the lightest of ways, you could end up being the one in jail. Right. And, and so the situation around that is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, real quick. Let me also say, let me apologize to, to, to Attorney Sperling. I should have introduced him far better than that. But he, he, I've been watching so much of his content. It didn't dawn on me to introduce him because I'm thinking everybody knows who this brother is. He's brilliant. <laughs> He's doing. I mean, his work is. We did an interview before on Interlight Radio, and we've been in communication ever since. So I apologize, Counselor. I, I you know, it just slipped my mind because I'm like everybody knows who this brother is, and I already consider him. him and we, we, we people at this point. I'm gonna yeah. be head. I'm going to get to the DR with this brother one of these days. <laughs> yeah, man. But, um, but no. It, it, in terms of of what else black men can do, you and I also had a conversation about um, black men navigating divorce oh yeah yeah is there anything you can suggest about that from what you may have seen in other situations well uh you know let me say this and i want to i want to hit one point and then i'll talk about that divorce as you know i have three sons and um i trained my sons my two oldest have, have taken uh shotokan for for six years which is a form of karate kempo Shaolin uh, Kung Fu, which is a combination of Kempo Karate and Kung Fu for about seven years. They have their black belts working on their second degree black belts. And then also their brown belts in Shotokan. They've take, they're taking boxing. Um, in addition to that, they're taking William Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. So they do have conflicts at school with the other children. They're 13 and, and 10. And what I tell them is that you already know that you can beat those other children. You know that without any doubt. I've dropped you off in foreign countries at other people's dojos and fighting mm. facilities. And mm. you fought children who fight on a level equal to yours and you've beaten them. Mm-hmm. So there's no need for you to prove anything by fighting someone who's weaker than you, who you know you can be. And so my advice to the gentlemen who are listening to this is that as a man, you know that you can already beat a woman. It's, and and, and you, not all women, of course. I don't want to be, because there's some strong women that there's some, there's some boxers out there that are putting hands on. I have a sister. She's one of the best female boxers in the world. But for the, for the most part, if you're a five foot eight, five foot ten man, and you weigh 170, 180 pounds, and you're fighting someone who's 120 pounds, you should, you should, there's nothing to prove by beating that woman. You don't lose or gain anything by fighting with this woman. Matter of fact, you look worse, even if you're able to repel the attack. You don't look very good. So there's nothing to prove. 
And I'm going to tell you again what the judges will see. The judges are going to look at you and they're going to look at her and they're going to say, you were never in need. You never response that you make in defense of yourself was disproportionate. So don't do it. Uh, unfortunately, brother, you just gonna have to take that lick and walk away. You're not fighting another man. And that's not the way society see it. Sees it. That's not what the law sees that you're going to have to take that hit. Now it's hard for us as men to say, but it's not fair. These are equal rights. That's just the way it goes. Especially mm -hmm. if you're a black man living in America. Mm -hmm. It's not going to fall in your favor. You're going to have to take that L and you're going to have to learn your lesson and do as I do and say the first time a woman even looks like she's going to say something crazy to me, even if I think she's thinking something negative or derogatory, mm -hmm. I'm walking away from the relationship and I'm going to tell yeah. her exactly why. I have too much to lose. I yes. don't know you. I don't have a problem with you, but yes. this is not the type of relationship I want to live. So keep your hands off these women. Now, now, if a woman is pulling a knife, a gun, or a bat, you defend yourself and you get away from that. Okay? Mm -hmm. If she's pulling a dangerous weapon, a deadly weapon, if she has a car, she's trying to run you over, you do what you have to do to survive that encounter. But if it's just fist to fist, hand to hand, man, you got to take that hit and walk away from it. It doesn't matter who's looking. You're no less than a man because of it. You know, I promise you, it's just a lesson that you're going to have to learn. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of men. And if you, I was a young man, I'd be saying stuff like, well, what if she was bigger than me, though? I'm saying, bro, <laughs> just walk away. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's what I would say. No, and that's real. Yeah. No, that's that's real talk. Yeah. Your most powerful uh, weapon really is leaving. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That's more, And I can tell you, what, what, look, with 20-plus years of off-and-on experience between Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Sanukas Ru, um, that none of that helps if someone is poisoning your food. Or attacking yeah. you while you sleep, you know what I mean? None of that. I mean, pulling a gun on you. You know, I always talk to these brothers who are like, "Oh man, you know, I, you know, I'll handle whatever." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, you gonna handle that ground glass in your cereal bowl?" I mean, it, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of ways that somebody that, can hurt you. That, um, that hot grit when you're sleeping. That <laughs> like hot, yeah, man. I mean, we everybody, every man in the world figured it, found out what happened to you know a homeboy that had his 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 penis removed in his sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Ron Reed, appreciate the support. Uh, so at the end of the day, you know, leaving is often the best weapon, especially, like you said, when you have something to lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you've gone to school for years, if you work in your craft, you built your business up, you can lose all of that for 20 seconds of unchecked rage. Yeah. And, and your freedom, brother, your freedom. You don't yes. even if you're an 18 or 19 year old young man and you involved with some ratchet young lady that you thought you would been in love with since middle school brother you got your freedom you don't know what's going to happen to you at 20 25 26 years old you get a mm. job these pookies and ray rays end up becoming your plumbers your police officers your electricians some of them become doctors and lawyers you know and and you're 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 going to lose your freedom because of one moment of rage where you lost it trying to prove some manhood that you don't already that you don't have to prove you're already a man and if anybody, I'm telling you, you're already a man. You don't have anything to prove by beating anybody up. Now, on the flip side, when we're talking about divorce as a procedure, all bets are off. You go get everything you're supposed to get. You separate yourself from your emotions and you treat it like an all-out war. You hire yourself the best lawyer you can get and you do everything you possibly can 
to make sure you secure your financial freedom. I'm going to tell you this, and I actually say this in my books. As a king, you can't let a woman ride in on a mule and ride out with the castle. Mm. I'm going to say that again. As a king, you cannot let a woman ride in on a mule and ride out with the castle. It is your job to protect the kingdom. See, a lot of men, they get soft. Oh, well, she has my kids. I loved her. I'm going to go ahead and give her the house. I'm going to give her extra money. I'm going to give her all the cars. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then they end up broken. They wonder why they end up depressed and committing suicide four or five years later. Mm. You see? So what mm. I'm telling you is go ahead and fight while you have to fight. Separate yourself from your emotions. Stop being weak-minded and stop being weak. And, and separate your money and your, your money, your wallet and your heart are in two separate places for a reason. Your heart is up here in your chest where everybody can see it. Your wallet, you keep by your ass. So go ahead and be like, your, be that ass that you need to be when it comes to your money. Because see, you can always, re if you're the one that earned the money, you can go back and, and you, you, you know how to manage the money and keep the money. You see? Mm -hmm. And it's your money, you earned it. So do everything you can to protect yourself. Now, I know we discussed some things, some different tactics mm -hmm. that I've heard of uh, men using for divorce. And if you would like me to tell those stories, I will do that. But I'm not by any means giving anyone any legal advice because that would not be the type of legal advice that I would give. <laughs> you would like to hear some stories. You know how like mechanics have shop talk and I'm sure professors have shop talk where they, there's conversations that lawyers like myself have. And I actually go into great detail in, in the second volume of my book. And I talk about some of these tactics that I use in that gold book. You know, and, and the mentality that you have to have as, as, as an attorney to be successful. Um, one thing I've learned, I, I, I knew a gentleman. OK, let me say this. I knew a gentleman who. Well, let me say my my conflicts of law professor at Southern University is an old Irishman. And he mm -hmm. said um, he did actually family law. And some of the most treacherous lawyers that you ever meet will practice family laws if you get a good one. So this old Irishman who taught me conflicts of law at Southern University in, night, in the 19, early and late 1990s, he said that he had a client whose uh, wife, ex-wife, uh, got custody of the child, full custody, and then she moved. It was like, you borged out a little bit. Say that. You borged out a little bit. Can you say that again? You're going in and out pretty, pretty uh, Am I back again? Can you hear me now? Now I can hear Hello? you, yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh, can you hear me now? You can hear me I now? can hear you. Okay. Can you hear so, me? So my conflicts a lot, Professor. I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're good. I, I can hear you fine. Let me see if I can find this spot. You can hear me? Okay. So I my conflicts of law professor told me that he represented a client. Um, the gentleman ha had lost custody to his ex-wife. She moved some thug in who had a criminal record so the lawyer was then informed by the child that mommy's new boyfriend had a gun in the house so mm -hmm. some kind of way the atf found out that there was an ex with a, with a firearm in the house and they raided the house some kind of way and then upon finding that out taking a copy of the search warrant and the uh the incident report this particular lawyer, my um, 
my former conflicts of law teacher, took that down to the judge and got a custody change, saying it wasn't in the best interest to have that child with the mom because she had they were, the house was getting raided because they got criminals in there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not giving you all that advice. I'm just telling you what my conflicts of law professor told me <laughs> about that situation. So these are the type of things that we learn, but lawyers can't really give you that type of advice. For instance, there's another case where I knew a guy who was getting a divorce. And so what he did was he withdrew all the money from the savings account Uh and he took it and deposited it in a um, credit union in a state Uh away from the home where they in the state where they leave. Let's say, for instance, they lived in New York. He found a credit union in Connecticut and he took the money and put it in Connecticut. I'm not saying it's Connecticut. I'm just saying hypothetically states close to each other like that. And so what that meant was that the money is now gone. And because the divorce proceedings were filed in New York, a New York judge does not have subpoena power to get the um, the money or get the information from the Connecticut credit union. Now, unless he actually tells them that it's in this credit union in Connecticut, which is one small little credit union. It's not like Bank of America or Chase where you can just search one database and get all the information. You got to know where the credit union is. It's one credit union. They're not connected to anybody else. And so there was no way for her to find the money unless he revealed that, which, of course, he should divulge that information because the judge is going to say, is there, there's going to be an interrogatory, some discovery press that tell us where all the money is. And, of course, he should tell. He should tell everything he knows and should be perfectly honest with the court. But if he doesn't, then there's really no way for them to find out where the money is. Now, that with the fact that, you know, you let's say you wait till your wife goes to work and you move all the furniture out. And now you shut off the credit cards. You shut off all this. You move the money out. You know, that's how you would, you know, I I, I could see how that would be very helpful to men in divorce because that's kind of what women do. But men don't usually have, and I hate to use this word, they don't have the balls for it. Men are weak. You guys, me too, to a certain extent, but we're weak and women know that we're weak. They know that they can use our emotions. They know that they can prey on our emotions. And unfortunately, and if you read in my book, man, I kind of explain that to you. Like the really the only way to end a, a conflict is just to go all out and show no mercy and no hesitation. Like, yeah, okay, what? You and the kids are living in some roach infested room i don't care i'm gonna get my money because again you can't as a king you can't let a woman ride in on a mule ride out with the castle you understand Mm. it's the king's job to protect the kingdom even if the children are with that woman if you have all the money you have all the resources eventually they'll be back with you i'm gonna tell you like this if i was will smith (laughs) oh my god Uh Uh let me tell you uh it, it would I would I have a lot of California or not I would money would be disappearing right now okay there'll be offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands and everywhere okay it'd be dis by 20 oh baby I invested 40 million dollars in some uh, a bridge over in Dubai and it just went up you, know. up you know money would be disappearing it would be disappearing I don't know where it had I would probably at some point stop playing the mortgage on our uh, $35 million estate in Beverly Hills and the bank mm. will take that back. 
And then mm. I would have some company that I've bought through another company, through another company and some guys buy it out of foreclosure and hold it in trust until I got it, until I got ready to buy it back. Okay. <laughs> I would, I'm not saying me, right? I wouldn't do that. I would never give anybody in this advice, but yeah. then I would file for a divorce. Then I was like, we broke now. You know, I would say, baby, you know, I want to stay and make this happen as we're getting put out of the house. You know, I'll probably move it to like Compton or something like, baby, look, we can get a nice mansion in Compton over here. You know what I'm saying? I got this yard business going. It's going to pop off. I promise you. I, it would happen, bro. It would happen. Now, to a lesser extent, let's say you're not worth $350 million. Let's say you're worth four or 500000 You got to stop being so weak, fellas. You know, the reason that this judicial system is able to prey on you is because you're weak and you're emotional and you love her and she's, you know, you love her and you start reminiscing about how beautiful she was on the wedding day, not right. realizing that the night before she slept with the stripper at the uh -oh. bachelorette park. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh oh. That's why she had that glazed look on her eyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, man. This has gone all off into something else. You I know this stopped you, right? <laughs> I ain't asked nothing. You I know you on. did not want this. <laughs> ain't but, nobody you asked know, you so, to stop. But I, I say this, but yeah, man. But with all levity, man, you guys, man, you you can't you can't complain about the system and you don't use the system to the fullest. I can't get. Here's what I don't understand. I put myself on child support. I put myself on child support because I got ready, knowing what was going to happen, and because of that I got the best rate that I could. Now that doesn't mean I'm. I'm, I'm not, that doesn't mean I would like to pay less. <laughs> you say I would love to be able to pay less, but still it's better to do it now when I'm ready on my footing. And I say this in my book, if a conflict is imminent, be the first one to strike. You see, if you know you're going to have to pay child support for that new outside baby that you just got, go ahead and put yourself on child support. <laughs> Don't wait 10 years and be giving her a couple hundred dollars here and there because all that's going to happen is when that child is 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, 18 years old, 22 years old, She's going to file for back child support, and now you're going to have to pay 18 years of back child support. Ooh. As opposed to saying, you know what, this child is one month and one day old. I want to start paying child support right now. Uh, you want to pay, here's this $125 for the first month of his life. And then that way you get it out the way and you get a set child support payment. Hopefully you get a child custody agreement, a, a visitation agreement, so you can establish a relationship in that child's life. But as long as you brothers are running away from the system like that, you're going to keep getting hammered. The system is not designed for you to run away from it in a conflict. It's designed for you to come to it, get this conflict resolved, and put it out the way. Because otherwise, there's too many questions. You see, mm -hmm. here's another thing. Giving a, a woman money, trying to make her feel better, that's like trying to... You remember the, the movie, The 300? Remember that? Remember that movie, yeah. The 300? I you know that, that, that Spartan wall. hole? Yeah. This is Sparta. We kicked the dude in that hole. Mm -hmm. but that's like... Giving a woman money is like trying to fill that hole up with gold. It just it's 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 a ever it's not gonna ever be filled up. You're never gonna make her happy with money. So what I'm trying to tell you to do is set the situation up so that it's financially feasible. Because what's killing a lot of these brothers is is that that uh, those arrearages that you have to pay. Yeah. So you got to pay child support and you have to pay arrearages for three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, and mm -hmm. then you end up losing your license, and now you can't. Uh, go to you don't have a driver's license so you can't go to work or you lose your trucking license and all these sort of things i've had cases like that i had a, a guy 
I was representing him in a trucking accident. He was an 18-wheeler driver. He got hit by another truck. This is back when I was in New Orleans as a young lawyer. Mm -hmm. And, man, I was scrapping. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like now where, you know, I got cases coming in, hand over fist. Right. You know, right. I just I told I told you about this. God willing, man. I man, we just uh we just won. I believe I like to believe that we won this case at district court, and it went up to the fifth the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal. And I believe they're gonna rule in our favor on a class action environmental case. Man, it might pop for anywhere from two hundred fifty to seven hundred million dollars. So I, you are not gonna be able to reach me anymore. Look, no, 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 brother. Let me tell you now. Get all the talking in you can, brother. <laughs> Where'd he go? What happened to Brother Sperling? I ain't seen him, man, since like 2001, man. The brother, I heard he changed his name to Juan Carlos or something. What happened to him? He was such a great guy. He's so down there. I don't be gone, bro. But anyway, so, you know, I mean, this you is- You already made the music videos, brother, so it's already happening. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, I'm already gone. I'm telling y'all, this is where he went, but- no, the thing was, man, so I had this guy, man, he was in a trucking accident. He was an 18-wheeler driver. Basically, he was uh, parked at a, at a truck park, and he got hit, and he hurt his knee, so he couldn't drive anymore. Because, you know, as far as being a truck driver, not only do you have to drive, but you got sometimes you got to get out and help unload the loads. And so mm -hmm. they didn't have they didn't have any uh, light work for him. He, acted, he couldn't work, so he was off work. He couldn't pay his child support. So eventually what happened was the state took up the case, and, and hit him for back child support. And they were about to take his trucking license right after he got his operation and was ready to go back to work. Now the DA, this in New Orleans, and it's probably like this in, in a lot of places, it's a quasi criminal sort of deal. So that means mm -hmm. the district attorney's office has a special group of uh, district attorneys that they use to work in the civil district courthouse. Now, I don't know what they do down there in criminal law because that ain't what I do, but I know the civil district courthouse, that's my house. And in the civil district courthouse, we use the civil district, uh, uh, we do the, the rules of civil procedure. And in the rules of civil procedure, there's this thing called motion for summary judgment. And what that basically means is, I'm gonna say, judge, these facts are certain, these are absolutely certain, there's no question about these facts. And then it's his job to come into court and say, oh my God, these facts are not certain. And then there's, a genuine issue that arises because the, the the trier fact the jury or the judge would have to weigh all that and figure out which facts are true and that's what we're going to go with to figure out what law applies well either way this very arrogant district attorney who i actually went to school with and was arrogant then <laughs> decided that he would just ignore my motion for summary judgment so when i went down there with my poor little client and my little i had a little small tight little civil rights suit on from supermarket you know i was a poor kid man i was young and skinny i didn't have any money but these white folks these wonderful white folks that gave me a job working at their little law firm and i was doing my thing right and mm -hmm. uh bottom line man i got there he wasn't ready he went once he realized that this was a motion for summary judgment and he figured out what it was because remember he's a criminal prosecutor not a civil lawyer and that's a whole nother animal and the bottom line man he went and talked to his supervisor and then they came back and asked me if i would uh uh, pass this date. I'm like, no, I can't pass it. My client needs to go back to work. We need to get this resolved right now. And so he realized he was about to get his, his ass handed to him by a young lawyer that he thought was better than him. But it was because I was more thoughtful and treacherous than he was. And wow. the fact that he was in my house, he was going to lose. So of course what he did, he dismissed the, uh, the, dismissed the, the complaint. The baby mama came in mad. She couldn't understand. I came down here to testify. And you telling me 
it, but there's nothing he could do about it because he was about to lose. And mm. so that's how I was able to get my client back to work and get to work. And another thing I told you, and, and we're going to go into some general concepts. When you're dealing with state lawyers, lawyers that work for the government, those are not lawyers that work like me. See, I eat what I kill. If I don't kill something, I don't eat. So when you're dealing with a lawyer who gets a W-2 and they work nine to five, I'm not saying they're not good lawyers. What I'm saying is they don't have the incentive to mm -hmm. go out, go that extra 10,000 miles necessary in a, in a 20 mile journey to make sure they win. I do it on a regular basis. The reason OJ Simpson's dream team beat the, the best of the best of the LA County prosecutors is because those are state lawyers and they wasn't ready for it. You mm. see, they was not they were not ready for, to deal with these high powered multi million dollar uh, 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 multi multi millionaire lawyers who are used to it. They weren't ready for that war. And that's why they lost. So what I'm suggesting to you guys is the first thing you need to do in a divorce or or, or some sort of child support proceeding is get the best lawyer you can. And in mm. fact, what I'd like for y'all to do is get the second, third, fourth, and fifth best lawyer you can and give them $500 and go down there and do a one-hour consultation with them to discuss your case in detail so that when your wife goes to the second, third, fourth, and fifth best lawyer in town, they can't deal with it because they conflicted out. I'm not saying that's what you should do, okay? I'm just telling y'all that's what I've heard, okay? Because I would Ooh. never, ever tell you people in my, I said, you people. I will never tell you people to do anything that's unethical. Don't do it. It's not right. Okay, you want to give your wife a fair shot at your, your money? Go ahead and do it the right way. Don't do that. Don't go down and give this lawyer five hundred dollars and that lawyer. I just want to sit down and talk to you about my. So now he has a file about you. He knows everything because then that conflicts him out. So your poor wife, she can't get the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh best lawyer in. Go town to practice family because all in my conflict. Don't do that. That's not right, Dr. Johnson. I don't want to hear you doing that. Don't do that. I'm telling you now. That's not right. Don't do it to her. Okay. All right, brother. All right. And none of your fans either. I want none of them doing that either. <laughs> y'all okay. heard it here. Uh, and but you know, this is it's real talk because and I've told people this before. My stepfather is in his seventh. Breaking up a little bit. Uh oh, up a little bit. Hold on. yeah. Um, my stepfather's in his 70s and he's still okay. paying child support on my stepbrother who's a month younger than me. And the illest part is his his wife, who had who you know birthed my stepbrother, passed away in like the 90s and he's still paying child support. So this stuff can can stay with you for the longest. Okay, we lost him, but uh, I think he'll sign back in in a minute. Um but definitely some um, interesting reflections on what not to do. I'm going to see if we can get uh, uh, Attorney Sperling to come back through uh, before we close it out. I will tell you guys, though, this week is a triple header. So tomorrow and Friday, I will be continuing this discussion on in intimate partner violence with some surprise guests on both of those days. Um, so um, you know, tomorrow we'll be dealing with uh, intimate partner violence and uh, intersectionality <clears throat> and the way those things have, have kind of played into one another in various ways. So that's, the, that's about the biggest hint I'm going to give you all on my surprise guest tomorrow. And then uh, uh, Friday we'll be dealing with intimate partner violence and uh, the religious and philosophical implications. So 
there's going to be a number of guests coming in to help us expand on this because there's not really a lot. There's not enough conversation on it. There really isn't. Uh, introvert, appreciate that support. There's not enough support. There's not enough dialogue. There's not enough um, reflection on what black men in particular, but men in general have to navigate uh, when it comes to grappling with, um, no pun intended, intimate partner violence um, and how we have to address it and what the what various ways, and that includes divorce, you know, because at the end of the day, when I talk about abuse, um, I talk about abuse from at least about five to six different frameworks. Um, I talk about it in terms of obviously physical abuse, uh, but I also talk about it in terms of emotional abuse. Emotional abuse it can include uh, humiliating, hypercriticizing, threatening, blaming, or scapegoating, right? I include paternity fraud as a form of emotional abuse. You know, it's a form of expect, uh, exploitation. Aquateki, appreciate that support. Um, so, I, you know, emotional abuse, uh, financial abuse, spiritual abuse. If you're not familiar with the various ways that abuse can present in the ways I'm naming, look them up. Obviously, sexual abuse is one way that can be dealt with as well, alongside verbal abuse. Now, the thing about it is most of the men that I talk to, I would say the majority of men that I've had conversations with regarding relationships, when I listen to them tell me stories about what they're dealing with, nine times out of 10, I hear examples of verbal abuse. We're not socialized to consider that abuse for the most part. We're not socialized to consider that abuse. Uh, women have been socialized since the late 60s to, to really consider the various ways that abuse uh, manifests, but men, not so much. So a lot of what we endure, we don't think twice about um, and in terms of um, whether or not it's abuse behavior. So I would go so far as to look that up, research it for yourself and actually consider what you've experienced. Because at the end of the day, these have these can take a toll on you. They can take a long term toll uh, in terms of what you navigate <clears throat> and what you experience. Now, he's coming back in, but he's still connect he still needs to connect his mic and his cam it's saying so um he might be navigating some of that um uh, as far as uh attorney sperling's books you can get them on amazon uh there's three volumes so far for rules to live by so check that out there so dennis sperling rules to live by look on amazon you can just do a search in google uh you can find it that way <clears throat> Um, but definitely some informative stuff. Okay, he went out. I think he's trying to find a signal uh, to come back in. So we're going to give him another moment because um, I'm trying to um, let the brother say everything that he needs to say. And if it is helpful to anybody out there, um, any brothers out there who find themselves in anything like what we've been talking about and didn't know what to do, didn't know how to navigate it. I hope that this conversation helps. Now, truth be told, if I have to end the show here, I still think we got, you know, quite a bit to work with, but uh, the brother's coming back through. It looks like he was trying to for a moment. We'll see if he can uh, make it back through again. <clears throat> and if he has anything else he'd like to share, I definitely want y'all to hear it. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if he'll come back through in a moment. Um, yeah, this is, you know, I've had a couple of conversations with him about this and there's just a point where you just need to be quiet and let people who are better skilled in their area speak. 
And uh, that's what I, I, I'm an advocate of, um, not only knowing what you can bring to the table, table, but knowing when it's best to be quiet and take notes. Um, and, you know, I have not heard anybody explain navigating abuse, navigating separations and divorces as skillfully as that. So we definitely want to support the brothers that do. Marquise, appreciate that support. Uh, let me see. He seems to. Let me see if he texts me. Um, I don't know if his phone went out. Oh, there he goes. He's trying to come back in. All right. So it looks like I got him. All right. Counselor. I'm back, man. I'm sorry, man. I don't know what happened. It's still boring a little bit. Uh, I, I can hear you at this moment. Okay. Can you see me? Okay. Great, I saw great. you for a second. Yeah, you went in and out. Yeah, so um, I don't know what. Were there any other questions? Because I, I kind of got cut off, and I don't know where I left off at. <laughs> well, I was I was actually sharing that you know my stepfather is in his seventies, and he's uh, still paying child support on my stepbrother, who's on who's about a month younger than me. Oh, wow. right. So we're talking about a forty-five year old man. Yeah. Uh, my my seventy-plus year old stepfather is paying child support on, and the wife, my my stepbrother's mother. She passed away in like the nineties. Mm -hmm. So this, so so I'm I'm simply saying that to say this stuff can stay with you if it's not you know properly handled. And that was in support of your point about being proactive in regarding yeah. these issues. Um, yeah, you know, it sounds to me like the government probably stepped in and paid uh, the mom some right. social services, right. some child support. Uh, it could have been. Uh, uh, what is it? E EBT is what they call. We call it food stamps back in the eighties, you know. Right. But right. Uh, you know, and and then so because of that, the father is obligated to pay the debt. And there's some situations where women don't even know who the father is, and they'll just write a man's name down there. And if he gets served, there was a case like that out of Detroit. He got served, didn't know he was served, and he got stuck with the judgment because see the way the court system looks at it, they will make the man nearest to that child pay. It, mm. it doesn't matter if you're not the biological father. And up until recently, and a lot of these young kids don't know, the DNA evidence is just recent. You know, the best you could get back in the day was a blood test to see if you had the same blood type as the father. But even that was inconclusive, you know, mm. but it was just one piece of evidence. Now you have DNA evidence that can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. So there's no uh, plausible deniability for a wayward mother who has put a child on a man who that child doesn't belong to. And so let's mm -hmm. thank God for DNA. And let me give you young men some advice. I got a third child. Boy, look just like me. I got a DNA test for him. I mean, but it looked like he don't even have a mother. It looks like I spit him out myself. And I still got a DNA test mm -hmm. just so I don't, because I don't want there to be any issue with him or any issue with my other children ever wondering whether or not this is their child. And so Let's say I'm long gone or I'm, I'm, I'm my mind is gone and they're fighting over what money I have for them to uh, fight over. And so mm -hmm. put all those to rest. So I'm going to tell you men like this. It is your responsibility to make sure those children that you are allegedly have fathered are your biological children. You owe that not to the mother, but to the child. <clears throat> because what mm -hmm. happens when these children grow up and they find out that their mother put them off on a man who wasn't their child? We always talk about the inconvenience that it causes the mother because now she got to find somebody else to support her financially. But what type of emotional trauma is caused to a child 
when you, the people closest to a child, tell him or her that this is your father, and then they develop these emotional ties, ties to that child. Then at five, six, seven, eight, nine, eighteen, or twenty-two, they learn that this man who they loved their whole life, who they treated and thought was their father, is not the actual father. How heartbreaking is that? How treacherous and low is that? Yeah. See, we don't think about the children and what's in the best interest of the children. Unfortunately, the state doesn't either because all they're concerned about is who's going to pay for this baby. Because right. we need this baby to be paid for so this baby can grow up and be a taxpayer and keep the state going. That's all we care about. We don't care, oh, oh you you the stepdaddy, but you've been treating this child like he's your child. Okay, you're going to pay child support. Oh, right. you, you the biological, oh, you didn't know you weren't the biological father. She told you that you were, and then you signed the birth certificate on the day he was born, even though that child don't look anything like you, or well, you the father anyway. And if you don't, if you don't try to get that turned over within the first two years, you stuck with being that child's father. And on top of that, we're not gonna let the uh, child. You don't even get visitation rights. You just pay for the child. How can that man move on? How can a man who's stuck paying child support for a child that's not his move on to a relationship with a woman knowing? that a thousand, 20%, 25% of his income is going to someone else's household for a child that's not even his. What woman is going to take him in that in that financial burden? That's like he might as well went and got a PhD or a doctor degree and be paying off the student loan. See, so so it, you, you men have to get DNA tests. And any woman that doesn't want a DNA test, she has something to hide. It's not about you trusting her, okay? Mm. It's about you getting emphatic evidence to prove mm. that this child is yours. Any woman that doesn't want you to get that deal, it's something wrong, she's hiding something, and that should make you want to really do it. That's just like a rich man asking his woman to sign a prenup, and she said, oh, no, you don't love me, you don't trust me. Well, no, that's not the question. The question is, should I not trust you since you don't want to sign this prenup? Let's eliminate the financial incentive for you to get divorced. See, we're going to stay married. You're going to reap the benefits from what you get from me during the marriage, but what this means is that when we get a divorce, there's there you get no finances so there's no financial incentive for you to get divorced so it's not that i'm against marriage i'm just against divorce baby so go ahead and take seven days and sign this prenup and get back with me how about that but you know you raise you raise a significant point when you bring up incentives because that's really what a lot of this movement that men and in particular black men are engaged in right now it's not about hating women. It's not about, and it can present itself in that way because you got a lot of pent up rage from brothers who've not been heard. I mean, for decades outside of the, you know, a number of rappers, you know, we haven't had movies. We haven't had TV channels that operate on telling our stories. So you got a lot of pent up rage from a lot of brothers, but when you really get down to the core of it, we're looking at how the state has incentivized certain behavior on behalf of our women over generations. This is multi-generational. When you have a woman <clears throat> whose mother and whose grandmother have been socialized to see men as disposable and unnecessary, and she's not only deeply enthralled in that, but is already teaching her daughter. You're already talking about four generations right there, right? Of women who yeah. have this philosophy that's been incentivized by the state. And so that's what makes this so dangerous. So, so when you talk about marriage, you know, and the whole question of divorce and how debilitating it can be, it's not to suggest that any every single woman is going to do that. It's just to suggest that the probability doesn't work in your favor when, you know, these are options that she knows she has available to her 
over something as flighty as unhappiness. Yeah. I mean, we all experience happiness and unhappiness at random, but if I can take your entire reality and put you in a context where you were a grown man living in your mother's garage, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of power that a random person can have. Even if you haven't married her, depending on the state you're in, and you yeah. enter you enter into a commonwealth kind of dynamic where you just live together for a while, and the next thing you notice the, the, the state or the local the principalities consider you married, it's the same amount of power. And so what men are finding is that it's not it's not worth throwing those those dice without there being some kind of massive change or or shift in either the laws or how individuals engage one another. Yeah, doctor, these women, uh, what I've kind of developed in my mind, these women belong to the state. And the state is going to do everything they can to take care of these women, okay? And they're going to get anybody who can help them take care of these women. So the man closest to them is going to take care of the women and all the children they produce because we need those little baby taxpayers to grow up and pay for the roads and pay for the police and pay for the fire department and play for the buildings and fight in our armies and, and, and play on our football teams and baseball team. We need them to entertain us. So the, the it is in the state's interest to use men to take care of women. And so what you have to do is recognize that that's the game and, st and men generally stop being so weak, stop being so weak for the flesh. And I'm going to bring a little bit of the Lord in this. The Bible teaches us to do what? Follow God and not the flesh, right? Hmm. It, it, it basically says that you got to put God first, figure out what it is that God wants you to do. Stop submitting to women and submit to God. See, if we weren't so busy buying flashy cars and expensive houses and wearing nice clothes, trying to impress women, we'd be able to find ourselves and we would with, with the Lord and we wouldn't get so caught up into some of this foolishness that we caught up in. You around here boxing some other dude in the front yard because he winked at your baby mama. Hmm. You see what I mean? You don't like this other man because his car is better than yours and he getting all the attention from the women in the club. What kind of fool are you? I mm. promise you this behind every conflict there is in the hood is some woman behind there somewhere. These dudes shooting who they getting this money for who they trying to impress. You men need to stop doing that. You need to stop putting, stop putting those, those things first and put God first, man, you know, in <laughs> yourself, and stop seeing your brother as your competition and, and start seeing him as your ally. Stop seeing, stop doing that. You got to cut that out. All A lot of the problems that we have in the black community is because brothers are wrong-headed in their thinking. You see what I mean? And you got a whole judicial system set up to profit off of your, your shortcomings, to profit off of your desires. And, you know, we, we, we criminalize your, 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 your vices. And we put you in jail behind it. And then we make money off of it. You get mm -hmm. driving, you're driving, you get drunk, and you hit somebody. I'm going to represent that other guy to sue you. Just mm -hmm. drop that in there. <laughs> Damn. You know, but, Damn. but uh, I mean, and that, and we can go a little bit esoterical with that. But the bottom line is, man, you men need to stop thinking with your emotions. You need to stop thinking with the head under your belly button and start thinking with the one on your neck and be more rational in your decision making. It's some good women out there. It's some women that'll treat you right. It's some women that want the same things you want. But, you know, we're not looking for those women. We're looking for the Megan the Stallions. That's what we want them fine like that. You <laughs> but, see? you know, at, at every level, see, this is, this is the thing about this issue. You know, when we talk about the relationship between the state and how it impacts our relationship, 
at, from whether you 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 know you're you're couch surfing, you don't have a job and haven't had one in years, or you're a multimillionaire, men across class, across occupation are telling the same kinds of stories. Yeah. And and that's the that's that's why I keep telling people, even if you're gonna talk about uh solutions to the black to the you know the issues black folks face, I don't care if you're a Marxist, you're pan-Africanist, you're you're ADOS, you're what it, no solution is going to work if you're going to tap dance around this gender issue, That's because true. at the end of the day, we're talking multi-generational incentivization and socialization in ways that present for many women the idea at an early age that black men are not only inferior, but you are, are or one, your competition yeah. or somebody that you need to dominate. Right. You're, so we're lesser beings in terms of how, how many of us are socialized and men internalize these ideas, too. So when you have all of that, what you really end up with is a dangerous stew that can disrupt the individual or the collective in any endeavor unless it's addressed. And most of these ideologies for uplift for the community will not touch this. They so again, as long as it goes unregarded. And black men and women are strategizing to deal with one another without any outward conversation. It falls flat. No plan can work. Uh, uh, two Triv, I want to appreciate the, the, the support and the cash app. Also, Cedric, thank you as well. Damon, uh, appreciate that support. Uh, Truth, thank you. And um, uh, Striving actually posts a question. Um, uh, he's, he asks, should you trust a DNA test from a state child support office or is it better to get one from a hospital? Um, they they um, all use the same company. It's, it's, they all send in, they all contract with the same. There's only certain companies that are approved by the court, and so mm -hmm. they. I think it's this one company that's nationwide that everybody uses. So, it you know I wouldn't do it out of you know uh, Clifford's uh, truck. You know what I mean. But if you go down to this, there's it's the same company pretty much. So you'll be yeah. okay. But Doc, you know you hit on a point that. You're right, and there's a there's this this gentleman named uh, uh, Mumia. What is his name? Obsidian Mumia Ali, mm -hmm. and something that he said was epic back in 2018, and I was listening to his broadcast, and he said the problem facing Black Americans in the 21st century is that the first problem that we deal with is not racism anymore, but that Black men and Black women don't get along. And the reason he said in, in a follow-up conversation, the reason that they don't get along is that we are now um, we are we are now testing freedom. This is our first time experiencing freedom, and we realize we just don't need each other anymore. And so what are we doing? We're using each other, and for the most part, the the hand is in favor of black women. There's an incentive for them to continue using us. So how are you going to get these human beings not to do what's in their best interest, Dr. Johnson? Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, how, how are we going to do it? I don't think we can. I don't mm. think we can get women who are human beings just like we are to not do what's in their best interest. I think men have done what's in our best interest, you know, when we had the power. And I don't think you can get women to not do what's in their best interest. And the most I can tell men is protect yourself, be smart with your decisions, because I don't think it's changing anytime soon, Doc. Well, and that's that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, BGS talks a lot about the impact of the environment 
and how that shapes a lot. And I appreciate him doing that, especially in this space, because yeah. I think it definitely adds to the conversation. But one of the things we're seeing is, you know, with with, you know, the economy of COVID, it, oh. it, it's unprecedented. I mean, we've already long exceeded uh, the impact of the 2007, 2008 Great Recession. I mean, we're in a situation now where all bets are off. And in that situation, one possibility is negotiation. And this is something I really appreciate about you because you did a recent video where you talked about the gender war, not as a gender war, but, but as a potential uh, negotiation. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, I would have disagreed with you a year ago. But looking at the impact of not only the economy, and this was already happening before COVID, we were seeing the economy, you know, in the last couple of years going downward. But when, by the time COVID hit, we created a scenario where now for the first time in generations, really, one could one could actually argue for the first time in generations, circumstances pushed and incentivized people, women in particular, to reevaluate their men. Now, whether or not that's going to be enough to push negotiations into some kind of area where something can be worked out is a whole different question. But the, the circumstances allow us to now have a conversation we couldn't have 15 years ago. We couldn't have it yeah. in the 1990s. Now people are forced, you know, because we're seeing the massive job losses. We're seeing, you know, I told y'all before, you know, my boys are, are, are noticing when people who are delivering their groceries are the sisters driving Mercedes Benzes. I know. Right. That, we're, we're, we're in. So you notice it, too. We're in an unprecedented situation where there, where there are possibilities but it comes down to whether or not that entitlement that is multi-generational and at the end of the day, not even their fault. As, as you know, it, this is something that has been conditioned over time. There's now a window, you know, and this is again, what you talk about in terms of negotiation, but you said something else that I thought was really interesting. You said, nobody leaves a negotiation happy. No, Can you go into that a little bit? Cause once you said that, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the brothers think, oh, they're going to come back and lay down on the ground and beg us. And that's not how it's going to happen. You know, the society, the social contract that we negotiated back in the twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties is. Okay. You, you're boring out again, brother. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you right at that moment you asked the question. Okay, um, so I was saying that the social contract that existed between men and the women is being modified. And so that's what this negotiation is about. Like, and it's not just black people, it's white people. I mean, what do you think Me Too and feminism was? This is a negotiation. White women are negotiating with white men. Hey, we're tired of y'all ruling the world and having being in charge of everything. We want to be in charge of some of this stuff y'all stole from the dark people around the world. You see? Mm. And likewise, black black men and women are renegotiating our contract. The thing, the difference is, I believe that black men will come out of this with more power than we had before. More power mm. and influence, because we didn't really have very much before. We were kind of just the workhorses of the black community to be used when necessary used as uh, personal bodyguards when necessary and, and, and disposable batteries. I think if we play it right, we can come out of this better off. That's what mm -hmm. I think. Um, some of the things, and I kind of, you brought up that broadcast, some of the things that we're demonstrating that we didn't have in the 1950s was the ability to date out. Dating mm -hmm. out is simply exercising another option 
that you have to show what leverage you have if we're looking at this as a negotiation. And the reason I refer to it as a negotiation as opposed to a war is because people are just talking. No bodies are dropping. War is a very serious thing. We're just talking about who's going to be in charge, who's going to date who, what are the circumstances going to, uh, the commonly accepted circumstances going to be in these relationships, and uh, who's going to be in, in charge in the power dynamic. In, in the relationship, because as you know, in every relationship, there's a power struggle, whether it be male, female, boss, employee, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a discussion of power. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to make the decision? Who's going to govern the resources? And so that's kind of where I think we are, you know, and the, and the good thing is because we're negotiating relationships that means there's an opportunity for us to move forward once these these negotiations are settled. Because mm -hmm. if you find a group of people who ain't talking to each other, they don't care, their birth rate is probably going to be going down. But at oh. least now, you got people who are talking about, hey, how do we get back in this relationship and make it a happy, healthy thing where every it's sustainable? You may not be happy. I'm not happy. But it's sustainable, something we can move forward with. Mm -hmm. You know, it... it, it it, it can be a negative thing. It can be a positive. But what I notice with black men, and this is something that I've seen um, Valdez and BGS talking about lately. Um, there are a lot of brothers that are overwhelmingly willing to to get back in relationship as soon as possible. Um, but even amongst brothers who are a little more reserved, it's amazing to me how much basic treatment it, it changes the game. And what I mean by that is, I'm talking to, to brothers like, OK, when I talk to brothers who have who have made uh, who built relationships with women uh, of different backgrounds, whatever. Right. Um, when I listen to them tell me stories about how they're treated and what they like, it's it's rarely anything complicated. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're usually I mean, it, it, they're usually talking about very basic things like niceness. Yeah. And smiles. You know? Smiling. I mean, it, I'm waiting for these brothers to start telling me stories that are just over the top. She bought me a house, but really, it's usually something like, you know, she brought me a glass of water. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not going into detail because, you know, there's a few brothers I don't, I don't want to put their situations out there like that. But when I listen to the stories, man, what I'm hearing is not monumental. It's not groundbreaking. It's really very light level. You know, just basic kindness. And it, it's amazing to and I'm not suggesting that, you know, black women can't be kind. But I'm saying when you hear this from more than a few brothers and I've been hearing this since I was nine. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I've been hearing this since I was nine and I'm already hearing it in my son and his friends when they talk about coupling from junior high to high school. They're saying the same things I remembered hearing from my boys on the playground at nine. Because it's true, brother. And I know and, you can't go into detail, but I will. Let me tell you my story. I've yes. never been treated well as I've been treated since, since I start traveling overseas and having relationships. And I'm talking about relationships. You're probably going to end up being my wife relationships. Not just going over there, hanging out, partying for the weekend. I've mm -hmm. never been treated that well here in the United States. And I've only dated black American women here in the United States. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never been treated that well. It's to the point for the past 10 years. And, and I know there are women out there saying, well, I don't know what kind of women he was dating. I was dating 
the same black American women that's out there right now that you friends with, it doesn't matter their economic class. Some of them in sorority, some of them not. Some of them educated, some of them not. California, Louisiana, Mississippi, New York, Chicago, all around. It's the same culture because you have sisters have this thing that a man has to earn their respect. A man has to earn their appreciation. Whereas these other women are taught that you give a man respect and appreciation solely because he's a man. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require, you don't have to do anything else other than be a man. These women overseas, it is part of their culture that they even treat their boy children with a, a, a certain degree of respect and appreciation, period, solely because they're boys. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of Latino women that will tell you these Latino mothers, they spoil their sons and they make their daughters work like slaves. But what they don't tell you is that look how hard these Latino men are working. Look at them working out there. That is part of their culture because they're raised and nurtured to be the men of the house and they're treated like kings. And so they act like kings. They treated like the man of the house from a young age and they act like that, not treated like they're stray dogs and tolerated and then you're expecting them to just produce and give up everything and you continue treating them like stray dogs and think they're going to stand for that when there are other options available well so, hold on one hold on one second brother it, it my, my moderators out there can y'all just boot jessica it, jessica that's not the conversation for here you got plenty of channels where you can do that so the only reason you came here was to be combative and you can take that elsewhere so please boot her out of there please Anyway, go ahead. What were you saying? Well, no, brother, I'm just saying, you know, it's been my experience and I love black women. You know, I still date black women. They're just women from different cultures. And it's not a race thing. It's culture. And I, I have to drive that point home. It's not about race. It's about culture. It's like I got two computers and one has one program and another one has another program in it. I just so happen to like this program. They're the same computer, same manufacturer, same age. Same everything, but this computer pre program is a lot more user friendly for me than this other one. So, so to the sisters, you know, um, it, it's just when you begin to go places and you begin to treat, get celebrated and treated better, it's hard to go back to getting treated ordinary or subpar. So I understand. I used to be one of those guys that say I'm only going to date black women. That's it. I'm staying down. But then I started opening up and I realized, man, I mean, I, I enjoy how I'm being treated. You know, I I deserve that. I feel like I deserve that. And I shouldn't have to ask you to respect me. I shouldn't have to. It's just like a woman saying, and I think you use this analogy. Uh, I don't know. You might have used this analogy. You said she's going to start making love to me like she's a queen goddess once we get married. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> but But until that point, I just got to wait and see. You see what I mean? I got to wait and see. I, I got to trust on it. So I'm going to start respecting you when you start. Um, what, what is it? I, I respect my husband. Okay, mm -hmm. but if this little middle school boy is not getting respect and appreciation from these little middle school girls of this certain yeah. group, then what makes him go even? He's not going to even entertain that conversation when these other girls over here in the same middle school are giving him respect, giving him praise, telling him how smart he is, how handsome he is. They easy to get along. They smile at him when he show up. You know what I mean? They help him with his homework. They treat him nice. They bring him candy and apples. He's going to go with it. You're going to go with who, where you're getting treated better at. Well, look, man, look here. This Again, this is why I emphasize this multi-generational incentivization from the state. When, when, when government is able to replace a whole population of men, 
in terms of providing stability and resources, especially, you know, when you talk about a critical time period, like, you know, right around the, the Great Depression or, or deindustrialization in the 70s, it's not hard to replace men in a very particular way in a poor community. So when you have generations of that, it produces this. So to add to your point, when you talked about, you know, our sons and what they see, you're right. My son is seeing that on the playground. My son was, you know, was seeing it on the playground. He is seeing it in school. But I'm gonna tell you, the biggest indicator for him on who to be attracted to was watching my relationships. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. There's, there's in the last decade. So it's been this is the, this is the this is the 11th um, year since my wife passed. 95% of the relationships I've had since ended for one reason, and I can say this blanket disrespect. Yeah. And every time I had to end a relationship strictly on disrespect, my son is watching. Yeah. And he's watching the way I'm being spoken to. He's watching my reactions. He's and and so when he when he decided to come, you know, to date and have his girlfriends, none of them looked like anything I had been with. None of them looked like, you know, and and what could I tell him? I mean, all I can say is be with who treats you well. Be with who, and doctor, who respects the, 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 the point that, that is not being drove, driven home, and I'm going to drive it home, you are Dr. T. Hassan Johnson. And so there's no reason a woman can't say, oh, well, you're not on my level. You're beyond and above most of their levels, that you deserve respect. Not only are, are you a man, but you are an accomplished man. You're a successful man, and even you can't get women of a certain ilk to respect you and unfortunately doctor i have the same uh experience and i'm an attorney you know and and mm -hmm. so in in all these other if, if we were white men i'm gonna just be honest with you if, he, if we were latino men oh my god we would be the, we would be the kings of the neighborhood you see what i mean we would run the town and this is why and you and i talked about this over the phone this is why i also tell brothers you know it, it we were told in the 1980s that we had to check certain boxes and this goes back to what you said i'll respect you when we get married you know that kind of thing we were told you'll be respected when you can check these boxes yeah. you know can you make six figures can you stand above six feet tall um can, can you can you own a home can you have a car can you do there was a certain list and in every one of my classes i asked my students i asked the men how many of you have dated a woman that had a list of requirements. Mm -hmm. All of them raised their hands. Yeah. I asked the women, how many of you have dated men with stated requirements? None of them. I've not had one woman yet <laughs> raise her hand to say the men had a set of requirements. Yeah. But the problem is when the men say, yes, I've been given this list of requirements, even at 19, at 18, I'm being told I have to make six figures now to date the girl that I'm sitting in class with. Mm -hmm. So the expectations are already ridiculous. But here's what I discovered. When you finally do check those boxes, what you find is that the goalpost gets moved more often than not. It does. Because all we were told is you need to make six figures. But once you make six figures, now you're told that six figures means 400, 500,000 and not 100 or 200,000. You know what I mean? You're told that you can own a house, but that is that house in you know this city. Versus that, see, see though, th that's where you kind of get this, you know, hopping from one foot to the other in regard to extending a respect that men were told we just needed to achieve X, Y things to get. 
So once you see that goalpost move, then you, 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 you're talking about engaging in bad faith in terms of, of negotiations. And once that happens, that has a generational effect. My grandma was from Mississippi, man, and she said this. She said, a man never looked so good as when he was on the arm of another woman. And oh. basically what she was saying was that these women aren't going to appreciate you until you find another woman and, and, and replace her with it. Now, the thing is, when these brothers catch all this hell for dating these fine women that are from these other ethnicities, that's when these that's when the sisters who would pass them over see the true value in these men. They see that little engineer who might be only five foot ten, five foot eleven, 180 pounds. When he gets that cute uh, engineer lady from Japan or South Asia and he starts dating her, they look really good together. And then she begins to realize, damn, I passed him up. There's no woman in America that would have dated Kanye West before he became, uh, he was not a sex symbol or even something to even want or any something to even would deal with until he started dating Kim Kardashian. He, he, well, would, be, he, he would be, he would be a no, he was somebody they would pass over. They like mm -hmm. Edris Elba. They like him. But what they don't like is the short nerdy dude, the heavy dude. Let me tell you something, man. And, and I don't want to go off onto a tangent. But you brothers got to begin to love yourselves and appreciate yourselves and know that there's a whole world full of women out there that will respect you and show you appreciation. And you need to explore your options because only then will you know what your true value is. Only then will you know how you're supposed to be treated. And then when you come back, you can command that treatment. And if they won't treat you like that, man, don't deal with them. Now, that, now let me also clarify this. Because we're talking very casually, I'm not using, you know, referencing any empirical data, uh, and I'm doing that very purposely because I'm just sharing my experience and the things and the people I've met. Um, so I want to be clear before this gets routed into, you know, an argument about, you know, colorism or anything else. I conducted, and I've said this to to my viewers before, so forgive me if you got to hear it again, but I've conducted an informal kind of uh, survey. Uh, you know, when I my when my wife passed, I noticed that more than a few of my brothers were in uh, international you know relationships, right? And so when I finally took out a piece of paper and I started writing out the name, I wrote the names of thirty brothers, all college educated that I've known for over twenty years. I wrote out thirty of them. Mm -hmm. One of them was with a white woman. Two of them. Went, we didn't have a word for it when I did this, but they went monk. They don't really associate with women at all outside of business. Right. Two of them. One was with an African-American woman. All the rest had found black women from other countries. Yeah. Some dark, some light, some tall, some short. But the one thing I noticed they all had in common is that they were, they were international in their origin. And it blew me away because I was like, I was married for, you know, I was with my wife for 11 years, married for nine. I was like, I'd, I'd met all their wives, but I never, you know, you just never really sit down and say, wait a minute, how come the majority of brothers I know who are successful and doing fairly well are all sharing this similar thing? And I think it, it evaded me because all the women looked different. They were dark, light, you know, this, that, they, you know, they came from all kinds of different contexts. But when I sat back, you know, newly being single and looked at it coldly, I was like, wait a minute. There's something going on. And not one of those brothers has dated less than 50 women in the last 25 years, right. even the ones that went monk. So there's something happening, but we're not allowed to talk about it for fear of being accused of this or that. But what I'm trying to get at is if we look at 
the kinds of societal incentives that shape this, we're really talking about behavior patterns that are determined by incentives. And, and, and so we need to strategize with that in mind, but it's not about DNA. It's not about saying that this, this group of women or that group of women are inherently this or that. It's simply about what has been cultivated and how it shapes behavior and engagements. And you got to make the, the best decision you can for your situation. You know what I mean? I'm not going to tell what to tell one brother what to do or not to do. But at the end of the day, if, you know, at a very basic level, you find yourself getting more respect from the person, you know, ringing up your groceries at the grocery store than the one you're providing food, clothing and shelter to. Yeah, there's a problem. That's there's a problem. A problem. That's, a, that's a problem. And I just I'm just you know, I want to tell black men, man, you deserve better. You know, there, there's so many organizations and groups that uplift women and tell them what they deserve. You go, girl, black girl magic, all this stuff. But there's nobody really uplifting, brother. Unless you running up and down a football field or shooting basketballs in a hoop, you're not uplifted. There's nothing special about you. And that's unfortunate because those are the men. And I, and I hate this term beta male, alpha male. We're all men. And you can be an alpha one day and be a beta the next, basically. You lose all your money, you're back to being a beta. Your game... You're 45 years old. Game doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter how expensive your clothes are. You're just an old man. You need, you're need. you not an alpha anymore. We're all men. We need to accept that, that we're all men. We we have the same needs. We have the same issues, primarily respect. You know, and, and I, I don't like to dis, I don't like to separate myself from my brothers. And mm -hmm. so if, if my brothers are suffering, I'm suffering. I personally never had a problem with women. I've never had a problem getting the women that I wanted to be with. I've never mm -hmm. had a problem in relationships uh, other than the stuff that we all have. But I mean, being with, I don't have those sort of issues, but I see my brother suffering. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when my brothers are suffering and my brothers are having problems, invariably that's going to come back to me because they're, they're unhappy. They're not going to lash out at the people that's doing it to them. They're going to lash out at somebody that looks like me. Mm -hmm. And so I do this to try to, 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 to help bring light to the situation and, and my best advice to these young brothers these days man is explore your options don't worry about other people trying to guilt or shame you into doing conforming to what they want you to do it's your life you have one life to live i can remember when i was 16 now i'm 46. life mm -hmm. goes by very quickly you have got to enjoy your life do not allow yourself to be pinned down by other people's shortcomings and guilt and shame. I don't care what your mama said, your grandma said, whoever else. There's a big world out there. Go ahead and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Well, I I, I want to you know add to that. The only thing I would say is you know I'm not going to tell you what to do, what choices to make, other than to say that uh, if somebody is not pay paying you a basic level of respect, it's not, it shouldn't even be an option. And and a lot of the time I see black men negotiating disrespect. Um, you know, far more than we would in any other given situation. So we got, we definitely have to learn. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way we've been socialized to hate ourselves in a particular way. And I said this earlier in terms of black men supporting one another, but I think it also applies to what we will accept in our dealings with other people. So, you know, counselor, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate yeah. it. It was very <laughs> short notice. And, you know, I hit you late at night. And you responded, man, and I really appreciate you, man. Man, no problem, man. You know, I got a house full of kids, and I'm on daddy duty right now, man. So uh, I yeah. got to get back down to these boys. But thank you so much for having me. You do great work. 
I'm so very happy that you've invited me back to your program. Anytime I can come in and contribute what knowledge I can and hopefully inspire your listeners to be better men. And to, to the ladies who, who listen, who actually love black men, you love your sons and your fathers and your brothers and your uncles. Hopefully this will help you better understand the men that you're dealing with. You know, and that's what I'm here. I'm here to help heal. I'm not here to raise hell, cause conflict. I don't have problems with sisters. Not, you know, I, I don't have the issues that a lot of brothers have. You know, mm -hmm. I just make choices that are best for me at this age. And But uh, God bless you, brother. Thank you for having me, man. No, thank you. And, and again, check out uh, check out Dennis Sperling's uh, YouTube channel. Check out if you're able to get on one of his Facebook pages after he vets you, of course. But, you know, I think <laughs> what, one of the things we have in common is we try to create a space for black men to dialogue. And I tell people this all the time because people come in, particularly sisters, come in my, my, my discussions and get upset. And then and I have to let them know, look, you know, that these are brothers who are sharing their thoughts. And as long as they debate logically, you know, there's no there's no threatening one another. There's no name calling. But you debate with the data. You debate, you know, as long as you can do that. I don't have to agree with you to hear you. You know what I mean? So, you know, I try and create that environment where brothers can dialogue. And, and I find that a lot of people don't know how to handle hearing black men unchecked. You know, a lot of people don't know how to deal with that. But anyway, that said, um, you know, please support the brother. Buy his books, uh, Rules to yeah. Live By. It's volumes one, two, and three. Check those out. They're on uh, Amazon, by the way. You can get them on Kindle. You can download them on Amazon right now. On Amazon or Kindle, as you guys heard. So uh, thank you again. And brothers, y'all know how I like to close this out. But listen, I added a couple, you know, based on some things that I've read. So, you know, uh, you know, here we go, right? I'm here to tell brothers we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support, wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We're thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. Damn. This thing is not coming up. There we go.